Good morning, church. Welcome. Glad you took the time to come out this morning and join us for worship. Welcome to Woodland Life Center Unplugged. Um, most of our musicians are out running around the country or the world or something. They were unavailable to join us today, so we're just going to kind of simplify this morning and um, simplify and, and, and soak. Um, I don't know if you like using that word when it comes to worship, but I love the idea of just soaking in the presence of the Holy Spirit, and we invite you to join us in that, um, and um, I, I, I think what I'd, I'd like to do is just give you permission to worship in whatever position you need to worship today. I, I'm not going to ask everybody to stand. I'm not going to ask everybody to sit or kneel or whatever. But what I am asking is that you'll just respond as the presence of the Lord descends on this place and we soak in his presence. I just want to invite you to, to respond to him the way that you need to respond to him today. Let's allow the spirit of God to move freely in this place. And, uh, in fact, I just want to say a quick prayer to just sort of open that up and open up our hearts and our minds and give him that permission. Jesus, we honor you today. We choose to honor you today. We are your people called by your name. And we move ourselves into a place, into an environment, into an atmosphere today of communion of communion with you, oneness, relationship with you today. I, I realize that some of us have been doing that regularly throughout the week, throughout the month, throughout the summer, throughout their lives, and others of us maybe are not in the habit or in the practice of that regularly. And I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you would just draw us in to your presence in a special and um, impactful way today. Move in us, move through us, whatever you want to accomplish. May your good and pleasing and perfect will be accomplished in this space today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing.
the king of the universe, in charge of everything, who always was and always will be. And we sit in your presence now and say, worthy, worthy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And worthy to receive all of the honor and all of the praise, all of our lives.
for that, Lord Jesus. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest, I rest on his unchanging grace. No matter what, believe that, would you just shout amen? Let the King of my heart be the mountain where I rise, the fountain I drink from, oh, he is my song. Let the King of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for 
Continuation of, of what has been coming from our mind. I want to invite you, church, to allow yourselves to see and experience and feel the hand of God holding on to you. I don't pretend to know what your circumstances are, the details of of all your circumstances, I know the same, but I know there's very little. We are worshiping the sovereign God of all the universe, the knower of all things. He's intimately in the know of your life circumstances, all you allow yourself right now in this moment, this next couple moments, to just hold you, drink from you.
picture of an owl. So Jesus, <laughs> thank you for inviting us into that where the miraculous can happen. Where empowerment can happen. Where answers start coming. Resolution begins to unfold. your story. You're holding on to a hope. Regardless of how dark the days have been or how bright the days have been. Regardless of how much turmoil has existed or how much peacefulness or blissfulness has existed. For those of us that are somewhere in the middle of those two extremes, we hold on to you you are holding on to us and we are your people called by your name. Thank you. Powerful name, Jesus. We ask this and everybody said, This is, uh, I'll tell you, Doug, would you mind just maybe pulling up the lights just a little bit? I know we're going past our instructions, but this is one of those Sundays where um, we have some 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 folks departing us. Keith and Susan, since you're here and we haven't seen you in a while, would you just mind coming up with me for for a moment and um Ben and Melinda too is this is this your last Sunday with us as well Ben and Melinda would you mind coming up as well Oftentimes well every summer we say goodbye to summer staff at the end of the summer but this year we're also saying goodbye to full-time staff these are these are members of our church year round theoretically although you often don't see them because they're running around the district uh, the state basically representing Golden Bells. Keith and Susan have been our camp directors for the last three years. Ben and Melinda, program directors, and a little bit of everything in them. Um, uh, powerful influences uh, have turned camp around and have been a part of our church family. And they're all moving away this week. And we say goodbye to them. Can we thank them for their years of service? Yeah. Uh, and and it behooves us, church, and I, I, I think we put this note out uh, in recently to pray for Golden Bell um, because there's a lot of uh, turnover and staff that's happening. And so when that happens in, in a camp environment, that can be very challenging. Um, but we're trusting God. 
This is our camp we're talking about here, okay? I realize sometimes we can feel kind of disconnected from it, even though it's just a few miles away. Well, this is our camp. And uh, so we have new folks coming in to, to take these spots, which they're going to land in our church family and be a part of who we are. Um, so we're, we need to pray for Golden Bell. And so since I'm saying that, I want us to just do that momentarily. So if you would bow with me, I'm going to pray over these couples and then over camp. Jesus, you, uh, you are sovereign even in our transitions and the transitions that are happening with Keith and Susan and Ben and Melinda and, and others um, from camp. I, I pray for them as, as they head to their new assignments, their new locations, their new homes. Pray that you will give them safe travels um, and you will go before them as they land in, the new, in their new places that you will uh, help them to find fruitfulness and empowerment where they go. May they uh, continue to be your hands and, and your feet in those new places. And we pray for Golden Bell now, this, this time of transition. We ask, Lord, that you will bring your people in to fill these important shoes um, that are that th- these empty space spots in, of leadership at camp, that you will bring your people in to take camp from where it is now and on into the future over the next 50 years. We just celebrated 50 years of ministry at camp and We look forward to what's ahead there. May they find this area, Keller County, to to be home. May they find themselves to be at home in our church family as well. Um, We don't know these faces. We don't even know names yet. But we pray for them, for their empowerment, for direction in their lives, that, that they will find fruitfulness this year here just as they're asking for fruitfulness for Keith and Susan, Ben and Melinda, where where they head at next. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being a God who answers our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We love you and we're going to miss you. But we'll uh, we'll see you around soon. Okay, one more time. Can we thank them? Okay. Pastor Greg and Nancy, I need you to come up here now. Now, they're not leaving us for good, but they're leaving us for a while. They are heading to Japan for um, three month assi- two-month assignments in ministry. Would you just share with us briefly uh, what it is that you'll be doing over the next couple months, and then we want to take some time to pray over you. churches mainly it's 80% military and so we're excited about the new dynamic of the church and the transition uh yeah absolutely we we uh, they, they're going to be off an extension of who we are in ministry on this missionary assignment so if you guys would just stand right here if you would like to come around them lay hands on them and pray God's blessing and anointing and empowerment.
empowerment over them as we kind of send them out for a couple months. Um, I want to invite you to do that now. Today, Lord, we send out a couple of missionaries who will head out on a plane the other side of the globe, and we ask that um, your anointing will be on them as they serve in these various teaching capacities and leadership training capacities, um, that your Holy Spirit will anoint Greg and Nancy for this work and will flow freely through them, that those that are hearing, those that are that are listening, those that are touched by their ministry will will be receiving the fullness of the Holy Spirit and and your empowerment in their lives. Um, I'm asking for guidance and protection over them um, as they travel, sure, but as they are walking around and driving around um, foreign territory. Um, you'll protect them from the schemes of the enemy who seeks to kill, steal, and destroy what it is that you are up to, what it is that you want to accomplish. Um, thank you that you are going before them, that you are surrounding them, that you've got their back, that you are surrounding them with legions of warrior angels, protecting them as they accomplish your purposes over there in Okinawa. We look forward to hearing the good news of what has been accomplished over the next couple months. Put them on our hearts and our minds regularly. Remind us to pray for them. Bathe them in prayer. And we thank you, Lord, um, for the work that they've been accomplishing here, the work they've been accomplished there, and the work they'll continue to accomplish here when they return. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Everybody said. Thank you, church, for joining us in those prayers. It's just so important for us to continue to pray over one another and lift one another up. Uh, I want to invite our ushers to come forward now as we prepare to receive this morning's tithes and offerings. And Jesus, we continue our praying we thank you for the provision that you have brought into our lives and the provision that is yet to come. Take what we have to offer you today, use it, bless it, multiply it, accomplish your kingdom purposes with it, build your church with it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. And kiddos, you are invited to... Come up here. You can put your offerings in your bucket here. And then I want you to stay up here with me because today is Sermon in the Sack Day. So we get to spend some time together up here. And I'm going to switch mics now, Jeff.
going to clean my cowgirl grub today. For those of you who missed it in Greenville, you just missed it. (laughs) (laughs) So just so you know, you've been hearing about it for a while, but we have VBS coming up soon. I want to make a quick plug with um, Golden Bell. It's been part of the Golden Bell family for a little bit longer before coming on officially full-time here. Um, But uh, we have been, last year, um, Keith was actually um, felt by God to pray for God's 500 um, changes of lives at Golden Bell. And we exceeded that last year with 300 or 636, super awesome. This year, we're actually over 250 already at Golden Bell. We had quite a crazy, chaotic week this last week. It's funny how Satan loves to come in, steal, kill, and destroy. However, just this last week, we had 11 new kids um, accepting Jesus into their heart and four new dedications. So he's got nothing on us. Let's just say that. (laughs) So anyway, so yes, VBS. VBS is coming up a week from Tuesday. I'm still standing. Um, But I appreciate everyone who... um, replied to the SOS email that was sent out on Friday. Uh, We still need help if you're feeling led to either help with kiddos in any way and or if you can't be here but you're available to donate food. Um, I just really felt led that we're supposed to feed our kiddos this year and we're going to be hopefully keeping that tradition going and actually giving them a full meal um, so we can actually have dinner, supper together. Um, and then Thursday night, so so VBS is Tuesday night and Wednesday night, so if you work during the day and want to come up and help, you have the opportunity to do that. Um, depending on what you want to sign up for, um, for sure being here by 5 o'clock, Tuesday, Wednesday. Registration for kiddos is at 5.15. It goes till 8.05. We feed them supper. It's for four years of age up to fifth grade. So those are the kids that we're going to be ministering to. And as we all know, kids actually minister to us as well. But on Thursday night, we are going to have a big yeehaw shindig. Like we want everyone in the church family to come. I'm hoping and praying it's going to be as big as trunk or treat, if not bigger. So we as a church family, there's a sign up in the back that you can actually bring food Um, Join in in the fun. The kids are actually going to do their VBS program on Thursday night. We'll do a mini session um, on that Sunday of August 11th, but we definitely want you all here on that night just to support our kids, um, support and um, welcome any of our neighborhood families that come in. Last year we averaged 75 kiddos a night. And we're praying for 120 this year. I prepared for 120. So maybe we'll be like Africa where they prepared for 300 and 500 came. So that would be pretty cool to even for God to exceed those numbers. So if you have questions, I'll be here for a little bit afterwards. You can call, email me, text me, whatever. But we would love for you to be on board and just support our kids. And kids, invite your friends. Mm. Invite your friends to come because that's really important. So it's amazing how many lives change and seeds are planted even at VBS for those kiddos to go to church. So, thank you. Thank you, Miss McKenzie. We just, we, with the kids sitting up here with me, we kind of wanted to talk about VBS because of how important that is. All right, so kids, come in here a little bit closer so we can chat. Camelia, you brought me something today. So if you are new here, uh, just so you know, the last Sunday of each month, we have our kids in with us the whole time, and somebody brings a surprise thing in the bag, and it's uh, put on my shoulders to pull this thing out and 
come up with a little sermonette for the kids that's connected to the item that I have no idea, haven't seen, and uh, how cute is this? Is, now, is this a special stuffed animal for you, chameleon? And um, does she help you sleep at night? Do you have a name for your panda? Oh, you're, you're going to make one up now? That's okay. You can if you want to. I just didn't know if you had a special name. Okay, so this is your toy, your stuffed animal, and um, and it helps you sleep at night, right? Okay, so it brings comfort to you, and do you, are you like my daughter who, do you like walking around the house with a stuffed animal sometimes, and do you like taking them apart or hanging out, right? So... Um, Isn't it interesting that this is, you've been singing about, and you brought a dice. Very good. So you carry a panda and you carry a dice. All right. Very nice. You know, whatever we need. But um, God, God has got numbers. One, two, three, four, five, and six. Yes, it does. Um, Jesus is always is always present with us, and he wants us to be aware of his presence in our lives. In fact, I'm going to talk about some of that today as as we're teaching, because we're going to talk about the story of Esther. So this is a perfect thing to bring into me, because it sets up everything that we're talking about today. But what I really want you to hear from me is that Jesus wants to be right here in your heart and in your mind and in your body, always present with you, and that you can be aware of his presence. Sort of like how Camelia carries this panda around and, you know, snuggles with him and feels helpful and she's calm and, and sleeps well. The presence of God in our life can be a lot like that. I don't know, have, have you experienced Jesus in your life like that? Has Yes? Yeah, you have? Okay, very good. Let me pray for you. I want to pray that this will happen for all of you, and it will be a normal thing to happen for all of you. Jesus, I want to ask that you will be always present in the lives of our children, and that it will be a presence that they will always be aware of, that they will know and experience. Um, Thank you for the comfort that you bring into our lives with your presence. Thank you for the direction and clarity that you can bring into our lives with your presence. We thank you for our children and uh, for the joy that they bring to us, for the hope that we see in them, and the amazing future that's ahead for all of them. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Give our kids a hand, everybody. Thank you, Camelia. You guys can head back, head back to your seat. Thank you so much. All right, church, I want to invite us to the story of Esther today. Story of Esther. So you can find that story in the book of Esther. So if you brought your Bibles or your your phone app, you want to open up to the the book of Esther, I would encourage you to do that. We'll also have the 
scripture up on the screen. The, the entire book tells the story of Esther. We can't read through the whole story today, so I'm going to do what I can to catch you up to speed on the story, and then we're going to read through chapter 4. The book of Esther happens. Uh, we're still in the period of the exile, so as we're, we've kind of used this stage is a timeline. If right in the middle of this timeline is the living water or the or the cross, we are we are in front of the cross at this point. We're we're in the the exile. Israel has been uh, kind of wiped out and carried off into this period of the exile. So some Jews have been killed, some have been scattered, and some have been carried off into exile. And are functioning inside of this other uh, nation. It was Babylon. Now it's Persia in the time of Esther. Okay, So the Persians are in control of the entire region. And there's these Jews that are living in this area. And Mordecai and Esther. Mordecai is... Um, is has basically raising Esther because Esther's both of her parents have died. So Mordecai's family, and he has brought her in as his own daughter, and he's been raising her. Mordecai works for the king, works at the king's gate, and Esther is just a beautiful young girl living in the area. Well, the king is married to a, a woman named Vashti. She's the queen, and the king is throwing these outrageous parties, these outrageous banquets. And they're, uh, they're, they're, for a long time, these banquets are lasting. He's basically just kind of showing off his wealth and, and his privilege and all that he has been doing and accomplishing. And they are basically just in a, a drunken mess. When he decides that he wants to call his wife, the queen, in front of the whole group of drunken people because he wants to show her off she says no and and she says no for a good reason because what he's wanting her to do is come wearing her crown and only her crown is basically what's intimated here and she's not going to do that and so she says no and um and basically is banished from the kingdom because what's decided with the king and his officials is that if the queen says no to the king, then all the women in the country are going to start saying no to their husbands, and chaos is going to unfold. So we can't have that now, right? So, so they banish the queen to put an end to this whole rebellion thing. But, you know, it's Vashti's response to the king is appropriate. It's it's right. And uh, I would suggest to us that the last couple of weeks we've been using this phrase that sometimes it takes a special kind of darkness for the light to shine extra bright. Okay, that's that's our phrase that we've been functioning in, with as we're talking through the stories of the exile. And here we are again with this special kind of darkness still surrounding Jews, still surrounding um, the story of Israel, and Vashti, though she's not a Jew, she does the right thing. And I want to suggest something to us today, that 
sometimes we're going to find when we're shrouded in darkness that our righteous acts can be villainized or might become villainized. And I don't know if that is something that you've experienced before, but it's certainly something that I've experienced before. Where you're doing the right thing, but the, the enemies that are around begin to villainize those righteous acts or those righteous behaviors. And um, in, in whatever way they decide to, to do that. And this, this is what happens with Vashti. Her response is, right, she shouldn't do that. She shouldn't agree to that, that kind of action. Um, but because of that, it's villainized. Her, her no is villainized, and she's removed from the equation, banished from the kingdom, never to come into the presence of the king again. So now the story unfolds. The king needs a new queen, and so he gets his officials to go around the whole region and bring in all the most beautiful young virgins that exist in the whole kingdom. And Esther is a standout with her beauty. And she's picked up and brought in. And throughout this process that's put into place, uh, the king recognizes, sees her, um, loves her, and decides she's the new queen and she's crowned the queen. What's interesting, though, is Esther never tells anyone that she's a Jew. So this secret is kept between her and Mordecai, Mordecai working for the king, and now the queen are both Jews, and and it's a it, it's not a secret that Mordecai is a Jew, but it's a secret that they're related, and so Esther's kept this a secret. Now this is interesting to me because here is this king who has married someone, and he has no idea who she is. The only thing that matters to him is the way she looks. So. What's known about this king is the the word that is typically used to describe this king is foolish. And and I want us to kind of cling to that today because oftentimes foolishness can be the overseer that allows the darkness to pervade. Um. That's what's happening in this story today. The darkness that happens in the story of Esther comes through the person of Haman, not really through the per- not through the king, but the king is the overseer here, and his foolishness, his ignorance, his his impulsiveness, um, these things about him uh, create the environment that allows the darkness to pervade. Okay, especially the darkness that's going to come against Esther and her people. Um, and and oftentimes we'll see that happen when there's darkness that happens in our lives. You might just open up your eyes and look around and and find that there's some kind of foolishness that has that has taken place that has allowed this darkness. I'm going to explain this more in a moment because we got to talk about Haman here. Esther's queen, Mordecai's working at the gate, and then the king brings this person named Haman up in second in command of the whole providence, of, of, of all of Persia. 
And Haman has a special hatred for Jews. And here's why. Haman is a descendant of King Agag of the Amalekites. Okay? And the Amalekites were special enemies of Israel, historically speaking. In fact, it was King Agag who was, who was in charge of the Amalekites, who was bringing uh, attacks from the Amalekites to the Israelites when King Saul, the very first king of Israel, was in place. And God told King Saul, and this is where the foolishness kicks in, God told King Saul to wipe them out completely, to eradicate them. King Saul and the Israelite army begins to wipe out the Amalekites, but he doesn't follow through with that instruction. He brings King Agag into uh, custody. He doesn't wipe everybody out. And because of that, the Amalekites survive when they should not have. You see, the foolishness of Saul kicks right in and plays into this whole story here. And here we are in the days of Esther, uh, generations and generations and generations later, where a man named Haman, who is a descendant of the king Agag, um, who was who should have been wiped out but wasn't wiped out at, at the right time, he eventually was, but not when it was supposed to happen. And so now this descendant exists during the days of Esther. And this descendant has this unique and harboring this special hatred for Jews going because of what happened to his people, the Amalekites, back then. And now this person with this special hatred is second in command to this foolish king who's overseeing everything. This guy has a lot of power. He basically has been given almost all power. Haman passes by Mordecai at the gate every day, and Mordecai refuses to bow down to Haman. Mordecai knows who Haman is. Mordecai knows where Haman comes from. Haman knows about Mordecai as well. And there's this animosity here. And Haman is, uh, uh, Mordecai is not going to bow down to Haman, even though everybody else does, because he's second in command. So everybody else is paying homage to Haman. Mordecai refuses to. And, more, and so Haman's anger and hatred just burns and burns, and it's growing, and it's growing, and it's growing, until he finally comes up with a plan, a scheme. And he comes before the king and says, look, king, there is this group of people that exist in your territory, and really they, um, they, they just need to be wiped out. They, they need to be taken out, the whole group of people. And the foolishness of the king kicks in here. He doesn't do any research on it. He doesn't ask questions. Uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't say, well, who are you talking about? Where are they from? Uh, that wisdom would normally kick in here, and he would try to find out what's going on. Instead, he says, yeah, go ahead. Just do whatever you want to, king. Um, so Haman puts this plan in place. The king signs off on the plan, and basically in about 11 months, the decree, uh, the decree goes out that in 11 months, all of the Jews are going to be wiped out, every last one of them. Man, woman, woman, child, every, every last one of them, completely wiped out, which sounds really uh, a whole lot like what, was suppo- what God had told Saul to do to all the Amalekites. Does that, you see how these dots connect when you, when you understand the whole of Scripture? 
This is Haman's scheme. This king signs off of it on it without asking any questions, not realizing that he's now just signed off on his own queen to get wiped out by the hands of Haman. Well, the, the edict goes out, and all the Jews become aware of it, including Mordecai. Uh, Esther's in, in the palace. She has no idea what's going on, and, and there's weeping and wailing, and, 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 and Mordecai goes into sackcloth and ashes mode where, where he's in grieving mode, and it's, it's there, there at the end, the end of days here. Esther seeks to find out what is happening. Um, in the meantime, I, I, I need to tell you this part of the story. Mordecai is a standout as, a king, as an employee of the king, even though he's a Jew, a standout uh, uh, employee. And he hears about a conspiracy to overthrow the king. Now I say uh, even though he's a Jew, because if you think about it logically, the Jews are in exile. And the one thing that they would want is to be released from exile and go back to their own country and reestablish Israel, right? That's the one thing they would want. So even though he's a Jew at the gate, he hears about this conspiracy to overthrow the king, which you think he would get excited about because this might get him out of here. Instead, he brings the information to the king through Esther. Esther, tell the king, your husband, that there's a plot to um, kill him. Sure enough, uh, the plot was found to be true. And Mordecai is put on the books as saving the king's life. This becomes very important as the story continues to unfold. So now Haman's got this plot to wipe out all of the Israelites, all the Jews. And we pick up the reading right at chapter 4, verse 1. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went on as far as the king's gate, because he went only as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was a great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, these people that worked for her because she's the queen. She became in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he refused them. Then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, assigned to attend to her and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai. She has no idea what's going on. So he went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people now listen that would be um a very logical declaration for for her esther you're the queen go into the king's presence and and tell him what's going on 
so that he will undo this. But let me tell you something, that, 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 that doesn't happen in the Persian kingdom. Nobody, and I mean nobody, is allowed to go into the presence of the king unless they've been invited. Anybody that chooses, and, and that means anybody, including the queen, anybody that just walks into the presence of the king and hasn't been invited to do so will either be struck dead immediately or if the king offers graciousness, he'll raise, put his scepter out and accept them. But when you're talking about a foolish person, a reckless person, an impulsive person, you can't bank on the scepter, right? So what Mordecai is asking or telling Esther to do is crazy. Um, it's it's against it's way against the rules. This is this is egregious what we're talking about here. Extremely risky. Here's her response. Aphek went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. And she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death, unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spare them their lives. You need to tell Mordecai, it's been 30 days since I was asked to go into the king's presence. It, she doesn't have the authority to do this, and she's just waiting. And who knows how long it'll, it's already been a month since he's been invited into his presence. Esther's words were reported back to Mordecai, and he sent back this answer. Esther do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but you have come to your royal position for such a time as Esther, taking in Mordecai's words, replies, you go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. As I pray, I pray. Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. For such a time as this, it's quite a statement that Mordecai is saying there. You see, we have we have these these two things that are that are functioning at the same time all the time 
there's there's the sovereignty of God that's that's overseeing um, all of history. Unfortunately, with God's sovereignty, we don't attach the word foolishness to him, okay? But we have the sovereignty of God that's functioning, but then we have this humanity, human free will, that's constantly at work throughout all of history. And so much of, of, of history is created by human decisions. Most of it's created by human decisions. So, so it's a challenge for us to, to observe the sovereignty of God while, while we're consumed by all the, the garbage of, of the free will of fallen humanity that's constantly at work, especially when we've got fallen humanity in charge of things, foolish kings, one foolish king after another after another. And, and, and it can be Israel that we're looking at because it, they had basically had one foolish king after another after another, which led them into the place of the exile that they're in. Or we could talk about the foolishness of, of other kings, like this Persian king that's in place here. And they're... The, that foolishness creates oversight for all this darkness to to happen underneath. And yet, there's this greater umbrella that's at work, and it's the sovereignty of God at work in all of it. And the more I look at this, the more I'm convinced that this sovereignty is 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 it's it's paving the way for for the living water to finally come onto this planet. And begin to be poured out so that so that humans once again can experience life, real life, real relationship with the Creator. Here we are with Mordecai saying to Esther. You, you were you were an orphan an orphan a, a, a Jewish orphan and you've been plucked out of nothingness and been made king who knows that this has all happened for such a time as this Esther we will fast, and we will beg for the mercy of God to be all over you. As you do the egregious, as you do the unthinkable, as you do the the ludicrous, the crazy, and walk into the presence of the king unembarrassed. Well, on the third day, she dresses herself up and walks into the presence of the king. And when the king looks up, He's pleased to see her and puts out the scepter and says, come on in, my queen. Come on in, and whatever your request is, up to half the kingdom, it's yours. Whatever it is that you want to be done, uh, let it be done. And, she, and, and she's scared because Haman is standing right next to the king because he's second in command. And ultimately, he's He's the, the enemy here. He's the evil one at work. He's the darkness that's happening in this story. How 
is she going to convey to the king that his right-hand man is, is, is uh, ruthless and evil? So she says, I want to invite you and Haman to a banquet I'm throwing just for the two of you. Oh, that's great. Haman, let's go. So the two of them go to this banquet the next day. They're high in spirits, okay? They're, they're enjoying, and the king says, all right, Esther, whatever it is your request, and she said, come back tomorrow for the, for the second day of the feast. So the two of them come back the next day. Now, understand the night before, between that first and second one, Haman, his, his seething, his anger, his hatred is, 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 is just off the charts crazy against Mordecai. And so the night before the second banquet, um, he's so out of his mind about this that he's talking to his family about it. And they said, you know what, Haman, what you need to do is you need to build a gallows 75 feet high. Now, the peak of this ceiling right here is about 30 feet. So double that. Plus some. 75 feet high. Build a gallow 75 feet high, and then you go to the king and and uh, tell him what's up about Mordecai and have him wiped out. Okay, well, at the same time that that discussion is happening with, with Haman and his family, the king is restless that night. And so he has this, um, this uh, assistant of his start reading through his history. Everything's written down, right? And then he just wants to hear the story of his life. That'll put him to sleep, surely. So he's hearing the story of his life. This, this, this happened this day, this happened this day. And all of a sudden, Mordecai's story comes before him. Mordecai overthrew a plot to have the king assassinated. And the king sits up and he's like, wait a second. Did we ever do anything for Mordecai? No. Okay. Um, call in Haman because... Uh, I want him to help me figure out what we're going to do for Mordecai. We need to honor him. So he brings Haman into his presence. Haman has this hatred. He's, he's got this scheme put together. And the king says to Haman, hey, king, uh, or hey, Haman, um, what should I do for the man that I want to honor? Haman's like, ooh, he's talking about me. Yeah. Well, king, you need... You need to put on that man um, one of the robes that you've worn. And you need to put that man on one of the horses that you've ridden. And then you need to put a parade in place and with him wearing that garment and sitting on that horse and going down the street, have, have one of your officials declaring the praises of the man that's riding on the horse that the king it thinks he's awesome, incredible, and, and that they should too. And the king's like, ooh, that's a good idea. All right, Haman, you do that for Mordecai. Can you imagine? And that's exactly what Haman did. He had to walk in front of that horse, leading that horse down the street, declaring the praises of Mordecai must have been like vomiting all the way down the street for him, right? He's so humiliated that as soon as he can, he 
covers his head, and he runs home in shame after that event. That, <laughs> that all happens leading up to this second banquet. Surely, um, after all that shame, Haman, Haman will finally have his day. But it's going to be a different kind of day than he planned. Because when he comes into the second banquet, they get high in spirits again. King says, all right, Esther, what is it? What is your request? And she said, oh, king, my people have been designated for destruction. What? Who? Who has done this? And she said, that guy right there, Haman. The king gets up with anger and rage at what has happened, realizing he's been duped. And see, it's his own fault here, people, because his foolishness, he, all he had to do was ask a couple of questions. All he had to do was, 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 was check. But that's not how he functions. He's just, and so he leaves the room, and he leaves Haman in there with Esther alone, and he, and Haman falls on his knees on the sofa and, and is begging for mercy. And when the king comes back in, and then it is, that is the end. Oh, so now you're going to try to molest my wife, too. Okay. And they immediately covered Haman's head. And one of the other attendants said, oh, king, there is this huge gallows that was built. Oh, okay, good. Go hang him on it. And Haman dies on the, the the gallows that he built to Mordecai. And Mordecai is elevated to second in command. That's how the story ends. You see, the, 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 the effect of a time like this uh, is really important for us to be aware of the sovereignty of God that's always at work. Even when we find ourselves in periods of real darkness. Of all the times in Israel's history, God's sovereignty really should not have been at work here. But yet you see it. All the way through, all the way through the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all the way with Daniel, and here we are with the story of Esther as well. Yeah, we've got this foolishness that's overseeing. We've got this dumb king in place. And we can have dumb leaders over us. We can. And depending on which side of the aisle you sit on, the last one was dumb or this one is dumb. And you know what? The next one will be dumb too to half the country. I get it. We can have dumbness over us, okay? We can have foolishness overseeing us. But it doesn't eradicate what's really over, and that is this amazing sovereignty that, that, that's constantly at work, even when our human free will is constantly pushing against it. Somehow we as believers find a beauty in this tension of the sovereignty and the free will working simultaneously. 
we, we, we either believe that he has a good and pleasing and perfect will for our lives, or I guess we don't. And I don't think anybody is sitting in here not interested in what God's will for their life is. Of course you are. I, who wouldn't even have bothered being here on a Sunday morning? Of course you want to know what God's will for your life is. But just because a person is walking out the good and pleasing and perfect will of God doesn't mean that their their free will has been eradicated. You see, it's 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 constantly in place, both of them together. And see, his free will is at work, and her free will is at work, and his free will is at work, and her so all of our free will is is fully intact. And all of the free will of non believers are fully intact. So the special kind of darkness that can that can come into our lives most of the time is going to have to do with somebody's free will and it might be my own free will that has brought this upon myself or it might be somebody else's free will that has done so i i i can look back at times in my life and i can see that it was my own foolishness That brought me into this place. In fact, I was thinking about this connection between King Saul and and King Agag way back here in Israel's history. And here's Haman, who should not have even been allowed to exist, but was allowed to exist because of the foolishness of the king of Israel that didn't do what he was supposed to do. And who do we thought of? sin in my life. Man, when I invite God into my life, he wants all of it. And 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 he and he wants me in 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 my fullness. But if I don't allow him to eradicate everything sinful in my life, I allow some kind of residual thing, some kind of oh, I just you can have all of this but I I you know, I just hang on to this what is the impact of that over the course of my life if I if I allow that kind of it might just seem like a little thing a, a, a petty thing not a, not a big thing I, I could offer up excuses for it that's exactly what Saul did he had some pretty good excuses and that thing grows and grows and festers and festers and then it can become a Haman real aggression. Another thing I've been thinking about the last few weeks, and it's it's all three of these stories, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, and, and Esther, there's there's this thread. It's not just the thread of the exile, this special kind of darkness but there's a there's a worship thread that 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 carries itself all the way through and it it mostly has to do with idolatry with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel and then even with Haman bowing down to Haman and and they all say no because of of who they they truly worship. 
and as I was thinking about that that thread, it it it, it occurred to me, and this is how I want to close today. It occurs to me that there is something significant and something that is strengthening about worship about about choosing to worship especially in in the hardest times practicing the presence of God e- even when it it seems like you've been exiled or it, it or it seems like the darkest of times choosing to worship him in spite of all that's happening there's something that is powerful and strengthening and and comforting and you know what we don't have to be invited into his presence we don't we don't have to try to get ourselves all dressed up and be stressed about what's going to happen to us when we press into the presence of the almighty is what he wants. He's passionate about us. He wants us to spend time in his presence. We're always invited. We're always welcome. So I want to I want to do this. I I want to close just kind of soaking in his presence again. I want to invite us to a place of worship. Um, Thinking about all that we've just experienced at Esther. The goodness of, of God, the goodness of his being in his presence. Like I said earlier, maybe maybe this is something that you do on a regular basis. M- maybe not. Maybe, maybe today just quiet and, and, and see uh, and experience what this strengthening and One of the darkest periods of my life um, happened in 2011. And it happened it happened inside of, of this church where a person that I thought was a good person came against me hard mean and 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 and, and tried to um, tried tried to get me thrown out and um, false charges false accusations and obviously all all of that but I, I, I can I can tell you that that when he hung himself on his own noose, by the way, 
but it crushed me. Um, it devastated me that somebody that I served, somebody that I loved, somebody that I pressed into, somebody that I ministered to, somebody that I gave time and energy to not just him, but his his family, uh, somebody that I poured my, my life into would, would turn on me like that. Um, it, it devastated me. And it was in the midst of that, that dark season that, um, that this song, and we haven't sung this song in a while, but some of you that have been around for years, you'll, you'll remember it. This, this song just, just came out. It was a, uh, a, a worship response that, that, that came out of me um, in the midst of this real attack. And, and, and it, it, it came in this, I know that I'm welcome in his presence. I know, I know it. And that's where I want to be. I want to be in the presence of the Almighty. I want to be in in the space where where my loving Father lives and dwells. That's that's where I want to be. And you can allow me to sing us to sing this over you if you know it. Uh, sing along as well. But let's just um, allow these words to kind of be. The, the, the cry of, of our of our hearts today. no place 
Jesus, we thank you that you have created it like that, that you put a system into place through the death and resurrection that we can move right into your presence without impedance. We are welcomed into your space. We are loved, cherished, Our experience doesn't have to be like that of Esther, who is just waiting and waiting and waiting for days and weeks to even be invited in. But that's not the marriage relationship that we have with you. The covenant relationship we have with you is continual, perpetual. And if we would allow it to be, it would be moment by moment. That's that's the kind of walk, that's the kind of relationship that that you had with us in the Garden of Eden that we broke and you've restored and you put the system back in place. We, we can have that with you. Regardless of all the chaos that's happening around us, regardless of how dark or bleak the circumstances may or may not be, never leave us nor forsake us. You will never fail us. Your 
you're constantly pursuing us. Welcoming us into your throne room. Where there is safety. We are your people called by your name. We're your children. We're your heirs. We are your bride. So many descriptions about who we are to you. We are one with you because of your grace and your mercy and your love. That is the scepter of extending to us. you would somehow supersede our foolishness. Especially when it comes to all the hindrances that may be in our lives that would impede us, that would hold us back, even sin that so easily entangles as Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 talks about. It. You would empower us to throw these things off. To rid ourselves of all of it so that there would be nothing keeping us from being one with you. Finding ourselves soaking in your presence even when we're working, even when we're doing family stuff. When it's not just a Sunday from 10 to, to 1130 thing. This is a moment by moment lifestyle that, that we can live out even in a lost and dying world. Thank you for what you have done, what you're doing now in this moment, and thank you in advance for what you are going to do in future. Now in the name of your Jesus. Now everybody sit. You stand with me. I want to say a blessing over you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you, be gracious to you. May his countenance come upon you. May he fill you with his peace. Have an amazing week living, walking, working in his presence. See you next Sunday. Oh.